Welcome to the Producer Podcast. This is the show where we interview successful electronic music producers from around the world. We ask them what they're doing in the studio, what kind of music they're making, hardware, software. We get geeky. We look at marketing, see what they're doing in their careers. And the whole goal of the show is to help you guys out there become better musicians yourselves, better marketers, and get your music out there and get it heard. We always have killer producers on the show, and this show is no different. Stephen Kirkwood is joining us from Scotland. He's calling us from Glasgow. I'm really happy to have him on. I love his tracks. He makes some very cool, it's, it's a trancey sound. It's like a modern sound. It just, listening to his music just makes me happy. And that is what I like. So, uh, Stephen, thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you for, for having me. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what kind of music you're doing. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a producer, uh, DJ, um, more a producer recently. Um, I got into DJing first um, through promoting my own uh, night uh, back back maybe six years ago. I started uh, uh, promoting a night in my local town called uh, Culture, um, and it was uh, bringing local acts from all over uh, Britain, like uh, Scott Project and Simon Patterson. Just when it was starting to get big, I was um, I was booking all these guys to to come to my night. Um, and from there I got in, involved in DJing uh, throughout Scotland and playing at some of the, the biggest club nights and uh, from there I just had a passion for music and, and at the same time my DJing was sort of kicking off um, I was behind the laptop um, getting involved in Ableton and um, really kind of working out what I wanted to produce and, and what kind of music I wanted to make and here I am today where I'm sitting in my own studio and that's what I do full-time. I'm a, I'm a full-time uh, music producer from, from all the promoting that I've done back in the day, my, my apprenticeship, if you like. Um, I'm now sitting here as a, a kind of a full-time music producer. So wow. to Good. cut a long story short, I've went from kind of promoting stuff and, and putting nights on to, to uh, music production. That's great, it's man. Quite, it's a great transition. Yeah, yeah. It's um so when you say you, you started a night what you had a certain club and you promoted a certain night there per, uh, you know one, like once a week or something or uh, well, it was once once a month it was um there was this there was a, a venue um called the Riverside and uh, it's not too far from where I am just now but I just had the idea when I was going through college and I was like 17 that I wanted to put on a club night because there was there wasn't really any club nights going on uh, huh. locally right. uh, you always had to go into Glasgow uh, to get the club nights and I was always um, really interested in what they were doing in Glasgow so I had the idea to put culture on um, and I'd done so and the second night I was blown away by the the response I think I, think I had like 600 people through Wow! and I was only 17 at the time and I wasn't even legally allowed <laughs> to be putting on a club night Wow! Um, but obviously I bluffed, bluffed my way through and uh, I convinced the, the club owner that I was of age and I put the night on, and obviously they made a lot of money from the bar, as you can imagine, if 600 people are there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I made a bit of money from from the, the door sales as well. So it was a good introduction into into the whole scene, and, and being as young as 17, it really it kind of gave me the, the buzz to keep going and, and keep um, and keep putting nights on and, and getting involved in, in DJing, you know? So how many years have you been producing? I've been producing... Um, I've been on Ableton since Ableton 5 or 6. Okay. Um, and I was like 17, 18 when I first started. But pro professionally uh, producing, I've been 
probably about four or five years, maybe. Cool, cool. I think I released my first track when I was my 20, uh, 20 21. All right. So how did yeah. you make that transition? Did doing these clubs and just being such a success, I mean, these, uh, these nights, uh, being such a success there and making enough money, that allowed you to kind of, it freed you up enough to where you could start producing and you had enough money stored away that it allowed you to get going. And then, you know, once your producing started going well, you started making money off that or how, how did the transition go? Well, uh, by trade in Scotland, you say by trade, like what you actually do is a, a kind of a real job. I feel like, um, I'm a joiner, like a carpenter. Um, so I was doing that at the same time in college at, at the same time I was promoting the, new, the, the, the music nights. Yeah. So that was kind of giving me an income, but I always wanted to, to, um, work in music full time so when the the when the nights really kind of kicked off that gave me that injection that kind of confidence boost that i could maybe do something you know gotcha um and from there uh i was just really involved in music and, and watching guys like mark sherry coming down and i made really good friends with mark sherry actually um and he's helped me from the very very start and um all, all the kind of edits i was doing and, and the mashups and, and remixes and stuff like that i would always send it to mark and from the very first track that i sent which was obviously a lot of nonsense um, <laughs> from the very, very first track right to this day. I've just signed some brand new music to Mark Sherry's label. So it's he's been there from the very start. And I guess it's guys like him who I got down to my club night culture that have really kind of stuck by me and, and, and pushed me to where I am today musically. Wow. Really cool stuff. Mm. And well done, you know, pushing forward. And, and now you're doing what you want to do. Exactly, and I've just kind of I've just moved into um, a new studio there, which is is really cool. It's it's a massive kind of achievement for me. Um, it's it's a it's an it's an amazing place. I've just been kind of dreaming of, of of getting into my own studio one day, and I'm finally sitting there. I've only been in here for like a month, so I'm I'm still buzzing. <laughs> oh, tell us more about it. I, I see pictures of it in Facebook. Is it a separate building, or is it part of your house, or? Yeah, well, uh, I first had my, my studio in my bedroom, like mm -hmm. many people probably listening to, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I've made some of the, my biggest tracks in my bedroom, even though I'd like glass-mirrored wardrobes at the back, which isn't exactly the best <laughs> for acoustic uh, treatment, obviously, but um, I, I hung a bed sheet up in, in front of my glass, uh, in front of a mirrored wardrobes. So I don't even think that made much difference, but <laughs> it did in my head. Uh, but from, from my bedroom, um, I found a, a little spot in an industrial estate um, and I got a, a, a small room in there and I made a whole load of acoustic uh, panels and stuff myself. Being a joiner, um, it kind of helped me out and I, I built all my kind of own acoustic treatment and built my desk and, and all that. So I moved into there um, and that gave me a taste of being outside the house and being in a more professional environment while making music. And I really, really liked it, and I knew that I had to get something that was a bit more sustainable, a bit more substantial. And uh, the place that I'm actually in just now was a former radio station. Um, so the rooms that I'm sitting in are already uh, treated for studio uh, purposes. Wow. So it, I kind of I want to watch with that one because I used to do a show. It was a a, a radio station called Your Radio, um, and they broadcast to like over 40,000 people in, in Glasgow and in the west of Scotland. So they used to be in this building, and I knew the building was there just from doing previous uh, shows and doing previous work with them. So yeah. uh, the opportunity came up when they moved out into their new building, and I knew this one was sitting here, and I knew what it looked like and all that. So I got in touch with the landlord, and um, after a 
a good few phone calls back and forward. I managed to get them get down to a decent price. And I just thought, you know what? I need to take this risk. I need to get in here. And I went and done it. And I'm now sitting um, in the perfect space. Wow. So, yeah. Um, that, that's really cool, man. That's It must be really nice having your own studio there. It really is. It's something I've, I've thrived for. And now that I'm sitting in, in, in this kind of place, it's it's now, it's, it's up to me where I take things and, and what yeah. kind of music I make. And exactly. that's it. The, hard, the hard bit's over. There's no more complaining that I've not got the, the place right. and make right. music, you know? Exactly. Now, when you say you make your own acoustic panels, what do you use to make them? Like uh, Owens Corning 707 or whatever that's called? Um, I used, for the acoustic panels, um, I basically built a wooden frame from uh, two by three inch timber. Okay. Um, used metal brackets to put it all together. Uh, I made it 600 by 1200 millimeters, and that's the same size as the Rockwell acoustic slabs. Oh, okay. That you get, and I think they are... 100 millimeters or I think you use inches in the States, don't you? Yeah, inches. Inches, so I think it's like maybe four to six inches thick, the the slabs. And the, the Rockwell acoustic slabs are so much better than the, the foam. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Um, I just basically built the frame and, and uh, fitted the slabs in and then wrapped, them, wrapped it in fabric, like in a breathable cotton fabric, um, and then stapled them up and made like 20 panels or something like that. Did you make bass traps and everything? Made bass traps. The bass traps are <clears throat> 200 millimeters, um, which is a good bit thicker. Obviously, you want your bass traps thicker so you can catch everything yeah. in the f 50 hertz uh, range. So and you're using, you're using the Rockwell for that too? Yeah, yeah. The Rockwell, I've just doubled it up. Um, so you've got two slabs in the bass traps as opposed to just the one. Um, so it's good to have the as much as you can get in the corners, the better really. Um, so I've got I've got the thick bass traps and I've got uh, I've got some clouds on the ceiling as well, um, which are thinner. So yeah, it's looking really cool. And how's it sound? Like them all. Oh, it sounds great. It sounds really good. Um, that plus it was already built for a studio as well. It's the room was pretty dead before I moved into it. So. Wow. Yeah, it sounds ideal. Very cool stuff. Yeah, if you're ever over, um, take a pop by and I'll, I'll show you around. I'll definitely do that. I'll definitely do that. I wish I could go over there. I wish I could come over there. <laughs> yeah, we'll trade. I'll sit in your studio okay. for a while, make music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm up for that, man. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk more about your studio since we're already in there. Um, you say you're using Ableton as your DAW, or what are you using for your yeah, DAW yeah. these days? Uh, Ableton 9. Yeah? Ableton 9. What do you like about Ableton? I think um, it's just the user-friendly aspect of it. Um, it's really it really appeals to me because I work really quite fast. If I've got an idea, then I can get the idea out 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 there in maybe two or three hours, um, and I can get the full arrangement out there, and I can get the full thing done. And when I see other producers working in, um, say Cubase or, or Logic, it just seems like in order to load samples or or loops or whatever, um, it just takes that wee bit longer. You have to go through separate folders and stuff, whereas Ableton is just a drag and drop. It's ev everything you load in. Um, it's set on time with your BPM. Right. So I just find it a lot quicker. It's really, really user friendly. Once you know your way about it, it's, I think you can do anything with it. Um, but again, e each to their own. Everyone's got uh, their preference. Um, I just prefer it for the kind of user friendly aspect. And um, out of the ones I've tried, I've tried Logic. I've tried Pro Tools and. I always seem to come back to Ableton. I think it was probably because I started Ableton when I was younger, um, and I kind of got my 
I got my bearings with it. Yeah. Early on. Yeah, that happens a lot. It's usually the first doll somebody really picks up. They the keep. They one, I think the first one you go for, you tend to stick with. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh, I use Studio One. Do you ever use Studio One? Um, I haven't actually. Oh, I really, I mean, it's kind of like Cubase, so it's more along there than, than an Ableton style doll, but, um, I really like it and I'm stuck on that one. I've tried all of them, like literally all <laughs> of them. I've even tried like the obscure ones, like traction, um, weird ones. Have you tried the uh, Bitwig? I have tried it. What, what do you think of that? You know, um, it didn't grab me like 100% like, uh, to the point where I had to have it and use it. It was, I thought it was really cool and I loved some... I loved some of the way you could add effects and like even MIDI effects on and how that whole system worked down there at the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm kind of stuck on Studio One. I don't know what it is. What do you think about Bitwig? Um, well, I know that some of the, the makers of Ableton left uh, Ableton to go and work on Bitwig. Yeah. Um, so there are some like kind of aspects of Ableton in there. So I've not actually tried it myself. That's why I was asking you. Um, oh. I've just, just stuck with Ableton. Um because they brought out, I was I was considering going, but then they announced Ableton Nine, right. So it was just a case of right, I'll just upgrade to Ableton Nine, and, and a few of my friends had it, and they says it was excellent. So it was just a kind of a no brainer, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bitwig is cool, and they just they're releasing a new update one point two, which is their their latest big update. I haven't tried that yet, but they, right out of the gate, man, they had a good, they had a strong start, if you ask me. Yeah. Now. uh... I'm listening to your songs. I'm curious about how you have some, how you make some of your sounds, especially like your leads. Uh, what kind of soft synths are you using? Um, since I'm using at the moment, um, I'm not just going to come away with silence because you probably get that every time, but I do use it. Um, it is just great at the moment. It's just for, for that sort of, um, sort of trancy, progressive trance sound. Yeah. Uh, Spire's fantastic. Um, I've just recently got into Serum. Yeah. Um, which is incredible. I've not really got my head around it fully yet, but I can like the the potential there is is really frightening the way they've integrated like LFO um shaper, like the, the sidechain tool and the way they can you can actually see some of the sounds as opposed to just hearing them. Really? I haven't tried it yet. Is, oh, you need to try it. Um I think that's gonna be a really, really big one uh, this year, certainly. It's like guys are making full-on movie soundtracks just by holding in one key. It's, um, <laughs> it's, honestly, it's honestly crazy. Uh, so Serum, uh, I've just I've been using um, Diva as well. Oh yeah, from Yuhi. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty cool as well. I mean, there's some cool sounds in there, but again, with with all the synths, it's it's how you use them. You can really manipulate synths and and really get totally different sounds out of them every single time you go onto it. Um, they're, they're really, really great, the, the modern so, uh, soft synths. So it's just a mixture. I use a mixture of, say, uh, the Yuhi stuff, uh, Zebra, um, Spire, Silent, uh, Massive, of course. Of course. I think everyone needs a massive bass line in their life. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And that, that's about it. The rest, I use a lot, I chop a lot of samples up and, and stuff like that for, for beats. I got you. Um, but I'm trying to think what else. But at, at the moment, I'm using. I'm using the kind of four main ones that I mentioned. Sure, they are the main ones. They are. Tell us uh, some of your favorite production tips, like things you like to do when you're producing that you think think gets really good results for you. Um, well, something something that I was I was thinking about saying to you, um, and obviously no producer likes to give away their their ultra secrets. 
But I'll give you something <clears throat> that I find is quite of a, a secret, and I sometimes tell this to producers that I'm in uh, working with, and they don't really know much about it. Um, and it's it's something uh, called mid to side EQing. Mid to side EQing. Yeah. Okay. Which is uh, something that not a lot of producers really do. Um, and I think it's really, really important once you really get your head around it and, and you figure out what the mid material and what the side material actually is and what it does. And, and once you apply a mid to side EQ, then you notice, like, for instance, say you've got a group with uh, your top percussion, like your hi-hats, like closed hi-hats, open hi-hats, and, and a ride, perhaps, and you, you stick that on a, a bus where or a group, sorry, and you add a mid to side EQ. Like two separate EQs, and uh, you, you widen out the mid and you, you widen out the, the side, you can hear a, a massive difference to the, the clarity and, and the space that your uh, your top uh, your top end percussion now finds itself in, if that makes sense. What, what does it do exactly? Well, you've got your normal stereo EQ, which everyone's probably aware of. Right. But um, a mid to side EQ is, is, is quite different. It's... It's taking into account the stereo spread um, of of your full mix. I think once you get your head around the stereo spread and where everything should sit, I think it's it's a key part of understanding mid to side EQ. Um, you can also excite uh, your mid and sides. Um, it's really something I would love to just do maybe a video tutorial and, and show you that way. It's very hard to kind of talk through um, without actually showing you. But but it affects um, the, your stereo it spread affects, basically. It, it affects. Um, the kind of the side or and mid of of the the kind of the sound that you're hearing um, the side and mid the side and mid so if, if people out there are, are wanting to to look into this just maybe type into youtube you know what youtube's <laughs> like you can get it yeah, in there yeah uh, just put mid to side eq and i'm sure there'll be some some cool tutorials on I, that but i find widening out my, my side material whether it's um on leads on hi-hats on percussion I'd, I would not do it on bass. I would leave bass alone because I like bass to be kind of straight down the middle. Right. Um, the spine, if you like. The, the bass has got to be um, the spine, if you imagine, attracts a, a human body, you know. And you've got like your your arms are like, if you've got your arms spread open wide, you've got like your pads and your, your uh, hi-hats and all that sort of stuff out wide. And then down the middle, you've got the spine, which is your bass. That's where the, the kind of the thudding should take place, you know. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's pretty much like mid to side is widening out your arms, if you like, if you want to use that analogy. Huh. Um, so I, if that's probably my best way to explain it, I know that probably doesn't make sense, but no, you gave us enough information, and you said go to <laughs> YouTube sure if you don't get can, it. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure people can can take from that what they want, but mm. mid to side EQ is a very important thing, and once you start using it, you'll notice. Um, that your your mix just starts to fill the gaps. Let's say you're you're, you're comparing your your track that you're making to your favourite track, and you're wondering why you can't get that same width. Then there's a good chance that um, a lot of that will be to do to do with the stereo spread, and it'll be to do with um, how they're they're utilising and yeah, utilising the the side and the mid uh, EQ. I see. It's a bit it's a bit like kind of phasing as well. Okay. Yeah. I gotta check it out, man. That's that's that would be new a new thing to use for me, and I bet a lot yeah. of guys were listening. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, the reason I say it was because I was working with um, 
one of my friends just the other day there we're, we're doing a cool track a sort of a jack and deep house track mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was telling him all about it and he was like man i've never ever heard of that <laughs> and then and then he came back to me a week later and he's like that just with this look on his face he's like mid to side eq and he was just <laughs> nodding his head and i was like mid to side eq wow <laughs> wow man great tip you got me very curious about it now yeah, I mean, it really works for me. Um, I find it quite a big deal. Some producers might not, but again, producing music is one of the things where it's it's a unique experience. It's all about uh, it's all about how you what you make of it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's the best way to do it. You, everybody gets their unique sound that way. Exactly, and it's all about being original. There's no point in in copying people or whatever. It's it's always about trying to find these methods and techniques yourself. That's true. And um and you and constructing them in a way that's that's a bit different from everyone else. Definitely. Cool, man. Great tips so far. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about your career. Um, you said you're a DJ as well. I've assumed you played mm-hmm. a lot of gigs. What has been the most amazing moment of your career so far? The most amazing moment, uh, DJing wise, I'd probably say um, when I was about nineteen, I got asked to go on tour with Eddie Hallowell and Jordan Suckley, and it was part of uh, Eddie Hallowell's Fire Up tour, which was three gigs in Scotland. Okay. And for me, being kind of nineteen, Eddie Hallowell <laughs> was an absolute god. It wow. was um, he was the top, one of the top, probably the top guy. Um, and to actually be playing directly before him was just incredible. I was, I was shaking like a leaf. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you're only nervous because you want to do well, I suppose. And I had a whole busload of my friends there from Dumbarton, the place that I'm from, and we travelled through to all the gigs and all that. And just seeing all my friends there and 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 DJing before such an icon was just incredible. And it just, it just kind of set in stone. Um, for me that I wanted to be involved in DJing and I wanted to be involved in producing music because that moment for me kind of, it was, it was just incredible. It was just so inspirational to get the chance to do that. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky I get picked for the gig, but um, I, I'd probably say that was that was one of my, my favorite moments DJing as well. That, um, that sounds um, amazing. When, now when you were DJing, did, you, did the nerves kind of subside after you kind of relaxed or did, were they late the whole time? Yeah, I mean, no, no, they, they definitely subside. You're always, um, you're always wary of like accidentally hitting pause or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I think every DJ is a bit kind of scared of that. Um, yeah. Sometimes it happens, but uh, I was, I was okay once the first few tracks were in. And once, um, once I'd, I'd, I'd hit my first few solid mixes, and I was playing a lot of kind of cool deep stuff and and getting everyone warmed up for the for the night. Right. And um, which I always prefer, by the way. I, I like having a, a night where you go in and you can actually kind of groove and dance to as opposed to going in and um, uh, somebody's wrecking the place with the, the top 10 beat port chart or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I like that. I like providing a, a progression um, where people can come and, and enjoy their first few drinks and listen to some cool music they might not have heard before before the actual big act comes on. Because I think right. it's a mark of respect as well. If you've got the place warmed up perfectly for... Somebody like Eddie Hallowell, um, because he, he's such a commanding character and, and um, he's an iconic kind of person and DJ. So for me to kind of play before him, I had to make sure I'd done a kind of perfect set, you know? Yeah. No, that sounds like a, a good plan. Did it work out for you all right? That worked out perfect. Um, 
as I said, after the first few mixes, that was it. I played two hours, and and from that, I took it to kind of I took it from one two six sort of grooving stuff, up to maybe one three two, and then back down to one thirty for him coming on, and then he took it from there from one thirty to one forty, wow. and then Jordan Suckley came on and and played more one forty stuff. So it was a nice night of progression in general. So I think that's the way a night should be. Yeah, that sounds cool. And that's cool. It was quite a lot of music played that night. So yeah, sounds like it. Now, yeah. um, sticking uh, with your career here, you know, you're, you're getting your music out there, you're getting lots of plays. What's the best advice you could give to get, have a producer who's listening, get their music out there and get it heard? Um, I think rather than, than not rushing in and trying to get the first few things that you make out there and heard, I think really taking time to analyze what you're doing and, and compare your stuff to stuff that's out there and stuff that you admire and when the time is right, I think you should approach um, you should approach labels and approach the right the right people, other producers, okay. and yeah. do and, and approach people in a respectful manner. Um, I think it's a, a very important thing because just through working with Lange Recordings, an A and R for for Lange, and like sometimes I get a lot of producers coming up and they just like they they they, can, they demand that you listen to their <laughs> track. They they think that it's going to be the next best thing and. Then you listen to it and it's just not. Whereas you get guys that come up and you can tell they're they've got a lot of respect for the label and they've got a lot of respect for Lange or or, or myself or whatever. And, and that way, you know you're going to give them the time and you're going to give them the effort. And I think like kind of holding respect for for the scene that you're going to get involved in is a, a massive thing. Um, and as and on the production side of things, I think kind of waiting until you think you really feel that your sounds like good enough to 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 kind of rival the stuff that you like you know yeah um, now that's amazing so, advice that's amazing too, too many people just really want to rush into things and I'll, I'll hold my hands up i was i was guilty of rushing into things at the start but that's why i'm telling you just now like it's something i would i would have done differently i would have probably have held back a little bit right. and, and and honed my skills and, and got my tracks to a level before rushing in but Again, it's it's one of these things that you, you learn from. But I suppose on the other hand, though, it shows a progression. It shows where your music's came from. You know what I mean? It's it, true. It shows, it's shows true. You where, it shows you where you've kind of started and where you're at just now. So it's a good and bad thing. But I think kind of holding respect when you're you're talking to artists and um, coming across nice and polite and uh, pleasant is uh, always good advice for, for anyone in any sort of situation, I think. Very cool, man. Great advice. And I, I know it's tough for producers because they're, you know, when you pr practice and you produce, you get good at such a slow level. I mean, you got to really practice a lot of hours to, to make incremental improvements. So awesome. it's hard to actually gauge your music as you're getting good at such a slow speed. You think everything you make is the best. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it is, it's tough for these producers to do that, I think. So I can That's understand tough. why people jump the gun and just want to get their stuff out there real quick. Of course, no, I can understand it, and it's. I think it's a bit of human instinct and human nature to do that. Yeah, you really, yeah. you feel if you're sitting in front of the computer and you've you've put in thirty hours that week and you've come up with something, you think it's amazing. You think <laughs> it's the next, the next uh, Armin Van Buren track or the next Tiesto track or whatever it may be. Um, but in reality, if you've if you've not put that, if you've not put the ten thousand hours in, as they say, then. Um, there's a good chance that it's not at that level yet. Yeah. 
Um, and as hard as that is to, to swallow sometimes, it's just the harsh reality of working in a creative industry. You really, really, the only thing um, I can suggest is you need to put the hours in. Yeah. It's There's no uh, kind of shortcut. It's a case of late nights, early mornings, whatever your preference is. Right. It's it's get in there and, and get working um, and staying creative and positive. And if you do that for long enough, then they can't ignore you forever. <laughs> Good point. So it's a, that's that's a, a good bit of advice that was given to me um, from Mark Sherry, actually. That's great advice. Um, and it's it really is true. If if you work really really hard and and you create something that's unique and original, then people aren't going to ignore that forever. And right. if your stuff gets get to le- gets to a level um, where it's challenging all your your favorite music, then it's 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 not going to get ignored. That's a simple fact. It's a good point, man. I like that. All right, before we end off, is there any other advice you want to give producers like trying to make it, you know, working out of their bedroom right now, just some guys who are just starting? What's the best piece of advice you could give guys before we end off? Um, let me think. Uh, be, be original. Try and create something that comes from kind of deep within as opposed to uh, chasing a certain sound from a, from a particular label. I think if you've got any, if you're in dance music or if you're in music in general, then you're you're involved in it because it struck a chord with you at some point in your life. So I think having that kind of connection with music and 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 trying to trying to um, show that connection in your music. Um, that, the kind of emotional connection in your music, I think, is really important um, because that's what music is essentially. Because if you have had an experience and you you get that experience out within your music, then everyone's human. So someone somewhere in the world will connect with that piece of music because of the actual emotion you've put into the music, right? As opposed to just making one of two hundred thousand tracks that all sound the same as each other. <laughs> It's like you're giving the track life. Exactly. And when you breathe that real human aspect and uh, kind of, of real human aspect of life into a track, I think that's when you realize that um, the power of real, real music because you start getting messages from all over the place from people from all over the world saying how a certain track's helped them through a certain situation or something like that. So I think rather than trying to follow the follow the kind of bandwagon or try to chase a certain sound I think take all this, the tracks that you like listen to them all and, and, and try and put your own imprint your own kind of human imprint on air, on air sound I think and if everyone was to do that I think we'd, we would have a lot uh, a lot of better music out there I agree um, so keep it personal keep it original and um, try and do your best work always I think that's awesome um, Hopefully that's helped some people. <laughs> oh yeah, this whole interview has. I Man, you gave amazing advice. This whole interview. Uh, oh, thanks, Sam. It's been really, really good talking to you, actually. Absolutely, man. You're welcome to come back anytime. If you want to come on back on the show down the line, you have some new stuff. You want to talk about some new tracks? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's been great talking to you, mate. I'll I'll take you up on that. Uh, take you up on that offer. Right. And if you're ever in Scotland, then you need to pop by the studio. I definitely will, man. I definitely will. <laughs> All right, well, Stephen, tell us people where they could find out more about you and listen to all your music. Uh, 
well, my, my new website has just been uh, finalised and completed, so people can check that out, which is um, stephenkirkwood.co.uk. And on there you can see all sorts of stuff. There's um, links to my SoundCloud, there's, excuse me, there's links to new music, uh, events, my full biographies there, um, SoundCloud page, everything is pretty much centralised uh, to my new website. So I would say head over to there. Uh, also check out um, Lange Recordings on Facebook. There's some really, really cool music coming from Lange uh, Recordings this year. Uh, and Outburst Records as well. Outburst Records is uh, Mark Sherry's uh, new record label, which is going to do massive things in 2015. And I've just signed uh, my very first EP to Outburst Recordings, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, that's that's forthcoming in March, I think. So there's there's loads of new music happening. I've got a few big collaborations in the pipe, pipeline, I think, Um you'll be surprised to see uh, some of the, the collaborations I've got. I'm really, really delighted with, with finalising them as well. So 2015 is looking really exciting and um, I'm just really happy to be to be doing what I'm doing every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for you, man. That sounds like you're keeping busy with some killer stuff. Yeah, man, uh, definitely. So it's, it's all happening. So check out stephenkirkwood.co.uk. Um, I'm starting, also, I'm starting a new radio show um, in February on After Hours FM which is going to be a two-hour show um, and it's going to feature everything from kind of deeper progressive techno through to uh, the more trancier sounds and there's going to be guest mixes on there and all that. Nick Callahan, as we were mentioned before, Nick Callahan, Will Atkinson, all these sort of guys um, really doing amazing things in the scene. So the new radio show is uh, called Robo Sapia, ah. which is a, a take on um, sort of humanoid, half-human, half-robot, right. sort of techno-trans type thing. All the artwork and all that's just getting finalised and, and that'll be getting announced soon. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So be sure to check that out. Wow, best of luck with that, man. Sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Really, really appreciate it. It was a blast talking to you. No, thank you very much. It's been it's been really good. Uh, we'll definitely need to do it again, mate. Definitely. I hope everybody else enjoyed the show. That's going to be it for the Producer Podcast for today. See you next time. Mm-hmm.